It is good that we are here to worship a perfect God. It is good that we are celebrating what he has done for us. And we must always remember to celebrate what God has done for us, who God is, what he's done, and to make the appropriate responses. God truly is the perfect being. God is the greatest conceivable being. There is no one who could know better than God. There's no one who could be more powerful than God. There's no one who can do the things that he does, and we have to reflect upon his perfect nature, for you can't even think of someone better than God. God is the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the all-good, the eternal, the necessary, and the triune master of heaven and earth. And God, in his infinite wisdom, decided that it would be good to expand his glory. God was perfect well before creation. God does not need to create in order to be perfect. God exists in perfect triune community. The tri-personal God is perfect. But because he wanted to expand his glory and share the perfection of his nature, he created. And the pinnacle of his creation was humankind. Humankind made in the image of God is designed to reflect the nature of God. And just as the image of God is one filled with reason and rationality and freedom, so too humankind has reason and rationality and freedom. But unfortunately, we as humanity used our freedom poorly, and we decided to sin, rebel against God, to go against his perfect nature, and to set ourselves up at odds against him. Rather than merely obeying him and experiencing perfection with him, we decided to try to bump him from the throne of eternity and take his place. And anytime there is sin against an infinite God, there must be infinite punishment, for God is perfect. And in his perfection, he cannot tolerate or stand or be around in any way that endorses sin. And so when we sin against this perfect God, there has to be a perfect separation. And the only way that we can truly pay for our sin is with our entire lives. We have to sacrifice the shedding of our blood, the separation of us from God, but then we're not with God. And this is not pleasing to him, for he wants to be with the creation he made in his image. And so because God is perfect... In his wisdom, he designed a plan to win his fallen creatures back to himself. And in fact, the Bible is the story of God pulling his creatures back to himself. First, God walked with his creatures, but that wasn't good enough. And then God shouted down to them where they ought to go, and it still wasn't close enough. Then God even came down and was carried around in an ark, but that was not enough. So God the Father sent God the Son to live as a human being on earth to experience all the same temptations and trials that we experience. And yet, because of his perfect nature, to perfectly overcome all of them. And even though he did not deserve it, even though you and I deserve it, Jesus took our punishment. We deserve to be punished for our sin, for we have sinned against the infinite God. But God the Son, who stepped out of heaven, he took the penalty for us. And he who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so it was this great cosmic switch. 
We exchange our sinfulness for Christ's perfect righteousness when we place our faith in his saving gospel. And the gospel message is simple. Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one, is Messiah and King over all the universe. And we who place our faith in the one who died on the cross for our sins, who place our faith in the one who was raised from the dead for our justification, are saved. First of all, from the penalty of our sin. We're saved from the penalty of our sin. Jesus took our punishment. Second of all, we're being saved from the power of our sin. Sin no longer has the same sway on me it did when I was younger because the Holy Spirit who indwells me, when God the Spirit indwells me, I collaborate with him and grow in Christ-likeness. And as I become more and more like Christ, filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit in this pursuit, the power of sin is weakened in my life. And we who are believers await the final aspect of our salvation, which is being saved from the very presence of sin, for when Jesus comes back, we too will receive a resurrection body, much like his glorified resurrection body, and we will be freed from the fallen sinful nature of our flesh, and this will be glorious. But until Jesus comes back, we've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. Jesus said we must do the work he prepared for us to do, and in Matthew 28, Jesus explained this in the Good Commission. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. We've got a job to do, and that job is to make disciples. And as Glendale Christian Church understands the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ, our mission statement is very, very simple, to make disciples. That's what we're all about. Discipleship is the driving force of everything we try to accomplish because we understand that that is God's will for us. We are all about discipleship. We understand that discipleship is the process of invitation and transformation and reduplication. And so we seek everything we do at Glendale to be oriented towards discipleship. Our vision is to be Father-willed, Christ-compelled, and Spirit-led, for we want to fill the will of the Father. We want to fulfill everything he has for us. We're compelled by the perfect love of Christ who died on the cross for us, and we are led by the Spirit who brings us into sanctified Christ-likeness and helps us reach the lost world around us. We understand that we have to be about discipleship in the same way God is about discipleship, and God values my knowledge, and God values my worship, and God values my service, because knowledge, worship, and service are the three transformative aspects of transformation itself. As God gets a hold of us, and as he transforms our head, our hearts, and our hands, our knowledge, our worship, and our service deepen, and our devotion to God increases. But God also values uh, my generosity, because it's not just about me, God understands that as I grow in knowledge, worship, and service, I need to turn right around and live life for other people. It can never be a self-centered life. It must always be an other-oriented life. And so God wants me to give myself away. 
We, who are made in the image of God, reflect the nature of God. And the nature of God is to give himself away. The Father gives the Son. The Son gives his life. The Spirit gives everything for us so that we can be like the Son. And we turn right around and we give everything we have. We give of our time, our effort, our energy, our money, and we're generous, being oriented towards others because we know that God is at the center. And because God is at the center and we are generous with all we are, we will start at home with our family. And just as Chris preached a great sermon last week about God values my family, we start at home. We start with the family, our smallest unit of influence, and we pour ourselves out to them. And we seek to plant and water and protect and produce with them and with the Holy Spirit so that we can accomplish the will of the Father, compelled by Christ, led by the Spirit. And today we will talk about God valuing my membership. For our family is not merely the smallest group of influence that we have, but we also have a church family. And this church family is a wider circle of those with whom we have influence. And God values the church. He values our membership. And next week we'll talk about how God values my invitation, getting people to know him and join the kingdom right here at home, right here in our church, right here in our community, and even around the entire globe. God values these things. So we will be about these things. We know that God has a very, very important place in his heart for meeting together. In fact, that's why he inspired the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, to write chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, which say these words. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. These two small verses speak volumes to us today. For we live in a world that is increasingly antagonistic towards the church. We don't live in a world that loves the church. We live in a world that hates the church. And of course, the world is going to hate the church. For the church reflects Jesus. And Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hate me, of course they're going to hate you. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says in John 16, 33. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And therefore, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards good deeds. Let's break this tiny passage down and see what it has for us this morning. Consider how we may spur one another on. When we consider, we're thinking. We're using our mind. We're using our understanding. And we're considering what God has for us. And what God has for us is really, really important stuff. And so we have to use the stuff that God has given us, our mind, our reason, our rationality, as creatures made in the image of God, and we have to think about, we have to ponder, and we have to pray about how we can spur. Now, you all know what a spur is, right? Everybody's seen a cowboy movie, right? Imagine the old cowboy with dusty boots, and he's got the spurs on the back, and they jingle and jangle as he walks down, and he hops upon his trusty steed, and when it's time to go faster... When it's time to ride harder, he can use those spurs and he can kick into the horse to spur that horse on to more speed, to more direction. And that's what we need to do. We need to spur, but we're not just to spur our vehicle. We're not just to spur our mode of transportation. And we're not just to spur ourselves. We're supposed to spur one another. We're supposed to spur one another on. This means we have to do it together. 
You can't do this alone. When you spur one another on, there's one and another, and they're together. And the thing towards which we are supposed to spur one another is love and good deeds. Now, you know that love is a very important aspect of God. This makes perfect sense. After all, as creatures made in the image of God, we're supposed to reflect the nature of God, and God's nature is to be perfectly loving. When we think about love, we have to think about love properly. And love is an other-oriented kind of thing. Now, surely love is also, there is a form of self-love. Jesus even says the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is an aspect of loving ourselves. We have to care for ourselves and have concern for ourselves, and we have to be affectionate about our well-being. This is true. But if all we have is self-love, we're not experiencing the true nature of love. For self-love is but one aspect. There's also love given. You give love to someone else as you show care, concern, and affection towards someone else. And you can also be shown love. You can receive love. And receiving love is when someone else shows care, concern, and affection for you. But there's also a special fourth qualitatively unique aspect of love, and this is cooperative shared love. Imagine when a husband and wife love each other they love themselves and they love others that they love themselves and so the husband loves the wife and the wife loves the husband and they have this reciprocal love and then they have a child. Oh, what a blessing. And when they have this child, they pour their love into this child and so there are two people who both love a third and because they both love the third and they both love each other, what you have now is a community. And this community aspect of love is far different even than reciprocal love. So God in his perfect nature experiences self-love, love given, love received, and community shared love because he's tri-personal in nature. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son, and the Son loves the Father and the Spirit, and they all three pour into each other and then expand their glory for our sake. God is love. And so if we are to spur one another on towards love, then that means we're doing things with other people. We show love by pouring into them. Love is all about others, not just about self, and so are good deeds. When we spur one another on towards good deeds, we learn from the last two weeks that there are good deeds of generosity, and there are good deeds of service, and service and generosity are both other-oriented. You can't do love alone. If you were on a desert island, I suppose you could have hope and even faith all by yourself. If you were on a desert island, you could hope to be rescued and hope that God would have you. And you could have belief, you could have the intellectual belief that God exists, but you couldn't experience perfect love because if you were all by yourself, all you could have is self-love. You couldn't give love to anybody or receive it or share it with anyone. There are no desert island Christians if we're being spurred on towards love and good deeds. And that's why the very next clause is not giving up meeting together. You have to meet together in order to express love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And oh boy, are some in the habit of doing that these days, aren't they? Some of you are in the habit right now. I understand. It's very convenient and easy to get out of bed and shuffle from the bed to the couch and do couch church. 
to wrap yourself under the Afghan and get your nice coffee from home and not have to go anywhere. Oh, and we want to provide that service when you have just had surgery and you can't come to church. Oh, we want to provide that service for you when you broke your leg and you can't get out today or when you're ill. Don't come to church when you're sick. Rather, take advantage of the online. But don't get into the habit of not meeting together. For if you give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, you lose out on the good deeds and the love towards which we are to spur one another. We have to come together. So, come back. Come back. It's safe. Come back. We've got hand sanitizer. We've got masks. And as herd immunity develops and as more shots are taken, come back. Do not let yourself fall into the trap of comfort. Come back to church for the true blessings and benefits. Oh, and we better do this all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, the day is, of course, a reference to the second coming, for Jesus is returning. Perhaps today the Lord will come. So what sort of people ought we to be? People who are ready, people who are expectant, and people who are doing the work to which God has already prepared in advance for us to do. That's the kind of people we ought to be. All the more as we think about the second coming of our Lord Jesus. And so what do we have to do with this? Well, we've got to meet together. Meet together. In fact, that little phrase right there, meeting together, don't give up meeting together, is reflected in the New Testament all over. Meeting together assumes church membership. I know this because I read Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Allow me to read it to you. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Church membership is implied by the existence of church discipline. And church discipline is very, very important. The church serves as the final court of appeals in matters of church authority as it relates to membership. If there were no church membership, how could you define the group that relates and takes up the matter that's so sensitive and weighty that it had to be brought to the assembly? It's hard to believe that anyone who just showed up to church claiming to be a Christian could be a part of that gathering. Rather, they are people who have poured into one another and have decided they will be together. The church must be a definable group able to handle this weighty matter. How about Acts 28, verse, or 20, verse 28? Here, the Apostle Paul says these words to the elders at Ephesus. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The elders of the church are to protect the church. And one of the ways that we protect the church is by understanding who's in the church. If the elders had to protect everybody in the world, that would be an impossible task. They have to organize and understand who it is that their flock truly is, who belongs to this flock, so that they can protect that flock. This verse does not say that elders can't protect others also who are not yet members, but it does make clear that their first responsibility is to the particular flock which they serve. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13 says, What business is it of mine to judge the out, those outside the church? Are you to judge those inside? No. 
I'm to judge those inside. God will judge those on the outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. There are two implications here. One is that there's a group that's inside the church and another that's outside the church. And the second is that we can make this distinction and sometimes expulsion is necessary for why would we allow continuous unrepentant sin in the congregation? We wouldn't. We wouldn't. And therefore, there's a distinction. But in order to know that they have to be expelled, they have to be a part, first of all, how about 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31? The metaphor of the body explains church membership. It says, for just as a body, though one has many parts, its many parts form one body, and so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, and so form one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, if you're a part of the body of Christ, each of you is a part of it. This body metaphor is very, very important because it indicates that although we have different responsibilities and roles, we're all working towards the same direction. We can't be like the thing in Adam's family and a hand disembodied from the rest. That doesn't work. That's fake and fictional and ridiculous. If the hand says to the rest of the body, I don't need you, and they try to do Christianity alone, it withers and dies. Oh, I, I love Jesus, just not church. Okay, then you're going to die. You will wither and you will die because you don't have the protection of the entire body. You are but one part. You must be a part of what's happening. In fact, Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in the leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Church membership is implied by church leadership. And just as the elders are the leaders of the church, we have Jesus, who's the good shepherd, and the elders, who are the human shepherds, in their wisdom, they've decided to hire some of us to work as co-shepherds with them, under-shepherds with them, submit to the leadership of the church, because there's protection that comes from this. These five reasons, and many others in the New Testament, indicate that there is an expectation of membership within the New Testament for all believers. Each of us should be a member of a local body of believers. Membership is important. In fact, membership allows for discipleship to journey along the three lanes towards Christ-likeness. When you want to be more Christ-like, you've got the individual lane, the smaller setting lane, and the church-wide lane. Now, the individual lane is where you have your personal accountability with Jesus, but it's personal, never isolated. You have personal accountability to Christ, but you're never isolated from the body of believers. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. If you try to do it without ever going to church and without ever being part of the body, you'll never find success. For part of Christ-likeness is being involved in a smaller setting and being involved in church-wide gathering. The assembly is important. The assembly is important because when we assemble, that's where we establish tradition and innovation. Church membership is actually the context for both of these very, very important concepts. Tradition is the idea of certain things being established that we commit ourselves to, and it carries on and on and on. If an individual Christian just tried to do the same thing over and over, that's just a pattern. That's not tradition. Tradition is when you hand something on to someone else. It requires membership. And so here's what the church's traditions are rooted in. The apostles' teaching prayer, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. 
Those are the traditions of the church. And these are the traditions that we will hand down to the generations to come forever. Because these are the things that were established when Jesus made his church and when the Holy Spirit came down and lit the fire. The apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship and prayer. That's the tradition. And then local congregations add certain other traditions to that from time to time. And in fact, right here at Glendale, we have a traditional musical style that's filled with hymns and old songs, and we're never abandoning that. We like that because there are people that that sings to. That's their heart music. And we also have a musical style that's contemporary. It's innovative because membership is also where you find innovation. Innovation is when you try new things in new ways so that you can keep the traditional things important and impacting new people. In fact, think about tradition and innovation like parallel tracks upon which the locomotive of the church rides. The engine of the Holy Spirit pulls us along, and we're the cars that follow. Membership is the context for both tradition and for innovation. It's very important that we do this because as we decide that we're going to grow in our membership and commit to what God has for us, we understand that there is some responsibility that attends being a member. In fact, members are expected to attend regularly, serve the body, give generously, submit to leadership, and promote unity. Attend regularly. Did you know that Barna Research Group did a study, and they showed that people who attend church on average one and a half times a month, that means they go to church once this month, and then twice next month, and then once the following month, and then twice the next month, consider themselves regular church attenders. No, I don't consider you a regular church attender if I see you one and a half times a month. I consider you a stranger who I have to keep asking your name over and over again. I'm sorry, would you tell me your name again? It's hard with the masks, I know, but um, because I don't see you all the time. Regular attendance is showing up regularly. When you are able, when you are well, come to church. That's the expectation of membership. And when we model this, it's so important. You have to model this for your children, your grandchildren, because if you don't, they're going to notice. They're going to notice, oh, you know what, Mom and Dad, they really thought camping was more important than church. They really thought sports were more important than church. They really thought taking vacation was more important than church. And you know what, now that I'm grown and married and have my own children, uh, it's not that important. And then that generation is going to see it doesn't matter at all. Why do you think so many people don't want to go to church today? Because the model of regular church attendance maybe wasn't prevalent in their own life. You've got to attend regularly. Because that's meeting together to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You've got to serve the body. You've got to serve the body. You can't just come. You can't just come to church and be served. You have to, you have to do some service. If you just attend church, if you just attend church, and you're not a member, you're not involved, you're not serving the body, then what that means is you're just here to get something out of it. And I hope you get major blessing out of coming to church, but part of that blessing is by giving back. Part of that blessing is by being a generous person with your time, effort, energy, and money, and you've got to serve the body. And so if you are a member and you're not serving, we need to fix that real quick, fast, and in a hurry, because we've got to give generously of every part of our lives. We've got to submit to leadership. Now, we have seven of the most powerful leaders I've ever known, and they will help us. They will guide us and lead us. And they ask for other help. 
They hired me to be part of the help. They hired Chris. They bring on staff to help make sure that you, as the members, get what you need to grow deep so that you can serve. We've got to also promote unity. Promote unity. It's not a fight. I'm not fighting Hope Church. I'm not fighting East Sunshine Church of Christ. I love those churches. I hope they grow deep, and I hope they bust at the seams, just as I pray we grow deep. And eventually that means we'll be busting at the seams. Got to promote unity, not just among other churches, but within the congregation. That's an expectation. No bad-mouthing the bride of Christ. Now, if these are the things that you're expected to do, oh, don't worry, there's things that you can expect. Members can expect to be prayed for, cared for, protected, and discipled. We've got to understand that when you decide to be a member here at Glendale Christian Church, oh, you'll be prayed for. I know what it is to be prayed for. I know what it is to pray for. I pray for you. I pray with you. And I know what it is to be prayed for. When we were members of the Prairie Grove Christian Church in Prairie Grove, Arkansas, and we just had Clark, our little boy with Down syndrome, our world was upside down. We didn't know what to do. It was scary. And the elders came over to our house and they laid hands on us and they prayed for us. And that helped us. That helped us because we knew that this body had leadership that would be praying for us. And if you are a member, you have leadership that will be praying for you. And if you're a member, you'll be cared for. If you lose your job, don't you think that we'll be there to help you? Be bold for Christ. In this world that sets itself against Christ, be bold. If you lose your job for Jesus, don't you think that we'll try to help you? Of course we will and you'll be protected. You'll be protected. You'll be protected by seven of the most powerful men I know, and that group is going to grow as we continue to grow because they're going to pray for you, and they're going to protect us with doctrine, and they're going to protect us with right practices, and you'll be discipled. If you become a member of Glendale Christian Church, I can guarantee you this. We're going to grow you in discipleship because that's what we are all about. Now, I hope that it's very clear to you that God values my membership. I hope it's very clear to you from our cursory look at the New Testament and the expectations that it's very clear that God values my membership. There's all sorts of benefits to being a, a member of a local body. You have this assembly, this gathering, this meeting together by which you can be loved and receive good deeds and in, by which you can give love and good deeds. God values my membership. So here's what I'm going to do with my membership. Are you ready? First, I'm going to place my membership. If you've been attending Glendale Christian Church and you're not an official member, today is a really good day to come forward and place your membership. During that last song, just come on down. I'll ask you if you're a believer. I'll ask you if you're baptized. If not, we'll take care of that. And then as a baptized believer, we'll say, do you understand the expectations? Are you ready to join us? Oh yeah, and then you're an official member of Glendale Christian Church. Place your membership. Now I remember the first time that I left a preaching ministry and I was teaching at Ozark Christian College, I was super excited with my wife, Kim. I said, oh honey, we're gonna try 20 different churches. I've been going to the same church for six and a half years. I've been preaching there. I can't wait to try Carterville and Orinogo and College Heights and we're gonna try all the churches. She said, no, we're not. I said, oh yeah, we are, 20 of them. She said, that's like, that's like over a quarter of the year. No way. I said, ah, we'll, we'll try a bunch. It'll be great. So we went to Carterville Christian Church and wow, they worshiped the Lord. And wow, they prayed. And wow, their sermon was really good. And we joined the church that day. And we never went to, we never, I've never tried any of the other churches. Because why? Does this church worship the Lord? Does this church preach the truth? Does this church give you the opportunity to serve? What are you looking for? What are you waiting for? God values my membership, so I'll place my membership. 
God values my membership, so I will commit to my membership. Oh yes, I'll commit to my membership. This one's very important. We've got to commit to our membership. We can't just give up and we can't just go church hopping. We've got to commit to the membership because it's kind of like a covenant. It's kind of like a covenant. It's kind of like a marriage. And if you just hop from church to church to church, you're like a divorcee who's on husband number six. Okay, you just keep jumping from one to the other. You're never gonna find the perfect man. You're never gonna find the perfect church. Commit, commit, commit and get together. Change it from within. You know what happens? If you're a church hopper or somebody who doesn't come regularly, you're unchurched, you're kind of like a customer at a store. You're just shopping around, seeing what you can get. If you're an attender but not a member, you're kind of like an employee at a store. You're like punching your time clock like, I come because I want to get something out of it and I know they get the good stuff here. But when you become a member, your mindset shifts and you're like, you know what, I'm a CEO. I'm the CEO of this place. And now I pour myself into it because the stakes are higher. Yeah, I'm going to commit to my membership. And I also will celebrate my membership. I want you to shout out loud, I love my church. I wish that everybody knew you loved Glendale Christian. I love my church. I hope that the whole world knows you love your church. I hope that the whole world knows that you love church more than you love the Chiefs. I hope the whole world knows that you love the church more than you love Superman. I hope that the whole world knows you love your church because this church is the church that you have committed yourself to and you're gonna celebrate it. You're gonna shout it out loud. You're gonna promote it. You're gonna invite people here because we do stuff here. You know some of the stuff we do here? We cast the vision of discipleship. We're trying to create the structure of organization and administration so you can be better involved. And we're trying to fill that structure by connecting people to opportunities. You know what? I think our vision is strong. And I think our people are willing. You know where I think we're a little bit weak? Creating that structure. I think we're a little bit weak on the organization and administrative side. And so today I've got a very excitement announcement that I'm gonna share with you impacting our members. And then I'm gonna share with you an act of responsibility that I need our members to do for me. Are you ready? I'm ready. Big announcement right here. It's gonna be great. Here we go. It's one you've been thinking about and praying about for a couple of months, and here it is. Demonstrating their commitment both to tradition and to innovation. The elders here at Glendale Christian Church are hiring an executive minister to join the team. And I'm pumped. I'm pumped because the position is important. The position is going to be one that helps all the current staff do their job better. Hey, you need more time to focus on that sermon? I'll take care of some of that other stuff. Hey, you need more time, Chris, to get ready for counseling and to pour into those youth? Let me take care of some of these details. Hey, elders, you need more time to be pastoral and protective of the congregation? Let me take the administrative stuff off your plate so that you can do the job that Christ has called you to do even more effectively. Oh, missions team, I'm gonna work with you so that we better promote the missionaries and the missions of this church. Oh, making sure that we have tradition making sure that we have innovation. Oh, because the tradition is very important. And so we're not deviating from the truth and we're not deviating from our traditional service, but we are gonna be innovative. We're gonna have a position we've never had before. Now the executive minister is not something we've had, but it's something that's needed. And it's going to bless us by helping the elders, by helping the staff, and by helping the entire congregation get ready to do the work that God called them to do in advance. In fact, the elders have been praying about this one for a long time. When they hired me a year and a half ago, they said, Andrew, we want you to focus on cultivating spiritual depth, casting the vision, and preaching sermons. I said, great, what about all the other stuff? They said, like all that administrative organizational stuff? And I said, yeah. They said, oh, you don't have to do that. And I said, good, because I'm not very good at that. And they knew right away. They said, no, no, those aren't your gifts. 
Those aren't your gifts. You, you can preach a sermon and you can help cultivate death, depth, but when it comes to organizing the different ministries and making sure that they're working the way they should because the people who are where they're supposed to be are doing what they're supposed to do, now nah, you're going to let stuff fall through the cracks. I know it. I know it. And I said, you're right. But don't worry. We're already praying about it and someday we're going to hire an executive minister. Well, a year and a half later, after faithful prayers by the elders and after good blessing by God, the right man has come to mind. Now, this man has his uh, preaching degree uh, from Ozark Christian College, has his master's degree in Christian apologetics from Liberty University. He's served as a police officer and as a Marine, and he rides a Harley. And some of you might even remember the Iron Horse preacher. His name is Clay O'Dell, and he's going to be here on March 14th to preach the first sermon of our Easter series, and he's going to kick it off. And then... After that great announcement, here's what I need you to do, members of Glendale Christian Church. All members in person on March 16th that are 16 years old or older are going to receive a ballot, and you get to participate in the vote of affirmation for Clay Odell to join the staff as executive minister. The man who will help Chris and help me and help Derek and help Mike and help Amy and help Leah, help us, help the elders and help you get more involved. Oh, I can't wait because we've got that momentum. We've got to capitalize. And God has seen fit to answer the elders' prayers, and it's happening. Clay's going to be an excellent addition to the team and everybody who shows up. Now, if you're just watching online, you can't vote. The bylaws say you have to be in person. You have to be here in person. Don't give up meeting together. Come here. Come here. And when you come here in two weeks' time, you'll hear Clay preach, and you'll say, yeah, 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 we want this guy. And you'll vote to affirm. And that's what's coming. Oh, it's going to be great but we've got responsibility as members here of Glendale Christian Church. That responsibility is to pour in to everyone we love. And one of the ways that we pour into those we love is not just by getting an executive minister. It's by making sure that our families, as we talked about last week, are trained up in just the right way. 